1: Colton, we got a couple things to talk about. We're going to do a couple things in this first segment. We're going to talk about uh, uh, Montana State basketball and and the Big Sky in general a little bit. And then we're going to talk a little college football and the departure of Mel Tucker from Colorado to Michigan State. Uh, And so we'll we'll get into all of this right now. But let's start. We spent a lot of time with the Grizzlies and Weber State and a a big game for both teams for different reasons. We haven't spent a ton of time on the Montana State-Idaho State game simply for this reason. Montana State should win this game.
0: I mean, or if they don't, I think it's very indicative of of a uh, a team in decline.
1: No doubt. I mean, it, Idaho State, I don't know if we want to sit here and rank who are the worst teams in the Big Sky Conference, but they are certainly in the conversation right now for they are. being the, the being that just there's not a ton of talent on that team. It's not going great for the Bengals in men's basketball. Period end of story. They they, being Montana State, won in Pocatello by 11 points the day after they squeaked out a one point win at Ogden. And so they were rolling right there. But you got to hold serve at home, anyways. But especially against the bottom tier teams in the conference, you just have to win these games. And so Montana State, who again last weekend had a giant blowout win against Idaho and then a giant blowout loss at Eastern Washington, goes back to the brick, welcomes in Idaho State, and a game they're expected to win, but of course those are the games that you certainly do need to win.
0: And I'm just, I'm really trying to figure, I mean, Montana State's done a great job in certain elements this year with a first-year head coach and an almost completely new roster. Dave Sprinkles revamped the effort for his team. They're playing a lot better defensively than they have in years past. But I was saying this to you off-air, defense is certainly important. Obviously. But at the end of the day, basketball is about getting buckets. you got to score. Montana State has a really hard time scoring if and when teams defend Harold Frey a certain way because everybody else on their roster has been so inconsistent scoring the ball. They have yeah. guys who can score. Ahmed Adamu can score sometimes. He's also very sporadic. He's a guy that can get you 26 points, which I think he that's his high so far in conference play. He's also a guy that can easily go 3 of 15 and shoot you out of a game. Yeah. Jabril Bello can get you 18 points and look great on the block. And he also can go goose egg like he did against the Grizzlies. Now, part of that's foul trouble, but that's a part of production. You have to be able to stay on the court. I, I'm just really wavering right now. I, I uh, To me, Montana State is the most prove-it team in the league to me right now mm. over the next two weeks. They gotta prove it because right now, well, From what I've watched in the league so far, and now we have a pretty good sample of size to see where we are at in league play. Montana State is better than Sacramento State, Idaho State, and Idaho. I'm not sure they're better than anybody else. They have to prove it to me. Right. I don't know if they're better than Portland State. They lost their head-to-head with Portland State, but it was only by a point. So, that I mean, that's pretty even. Also, though, Portland State was in the midst of the front end of their heavily weighted front-ended schedule, right. and they weren't completely healthy, how is Montana State do when they play at Portland State with the Grizzlies on the horizon? Who knows? NAU has been a surprise in the league. They're at 7-6. and six. That's a bad matchup for the Cats. The Cats beat NAU early on. It was the first weekend of conference play. But NAU has a couple guys, particularly Bernie Andre, who is just a jumping jack, rim-running type of guy that the Cats don't really have anybody to match up with, him. especially if Devin Kirby isn't at 100%, which he still can't really seem to get to that point. Are the Cats better than Southern Utah? I'm not sure. And they we I think we could say with pretty good confidence they're not better than Montana, Eastern, Washington, Northern Colorado. So where are the Cats? I mean, this is a team that I think we'd like to believe could be in the mix for a top-four seed. And I think we'd like to believe that their worst-case scenario would be where they were at a year ago as a six-spot. But to me, they got to prove the next two weeks that their worst-case scenario is not the eight or nine because right, right now, it might be. Well it is
1: if they lose tonight it certainly is in play uh, it, and that's it's, why it's, you can't it's, it's, it's lose it's, it's this game it's in
0: play even if they don't lose tonight though this is a must have because yes. this is the i think this is the only game that you would say this and sac state are the only two games you would say that montana state's the definitive favorite in the game mm-hmm. and
1: here's the thing if montana state wins this game tonight they go to 7 and 6 eastern washington plays idaho you're, they're expected to win that game. Northern Colorado plays Sacramento State. They're expected to win that game. So you, if if it holds the way it sh- you know you think it's going to, and anything can happen, especially in this conference. But then you, you you know if you're Montana State, you're not gaining any ground on those teams, even with a win. Obviously, if you lose, you that you're in real trouble. The game, though, of the night that is the most impactful elsewhere into what happens with Montana State from a standing standpoint is Southern Utah. Uh, excuse me, is Northern Arizona, who is is playing Northern Colorado, okay? I said Northern Colorado is playing Sacramento State. Excuse me, Southern Utah is playing Sacramento State and should win that game. It's Northern Colorado and Northern Arizona who are both ahead of Montana State in the standings right now, but Northern uh, Arizona is only a half game up. If they were to lose to Northern Colorado, which, you know, Northern Colorado is really good. They're expected probably to win that game, although that game is in Flagstaff. So, you know, this is that's an interesting game. But if Montana State won, they would, and Northern Arizona lost, they would then be fifth in the conference at seven and six with NAU at seven and seven. And Northern, uh, uh, excuse me, Northern uh, Colorado, you know, would move up to nine and three, and you would still certainly be in striking distance in Southern Utah if they were to win, would be at eight and 5 you It'd just be a game behind them for the fourth spot. If Northern Colorado was to lose, right? And NAU jumped up and got them, that drops them to, to eight and four and moves Northern Arizona up to eight and six. And you're still only a half game behind with a win of those teams, and all of a sudden the whole pack gets compressed in that scenario. So with the win tonight, worst case scenario for Montana State is you're still in the sixth spot, but you're much closer basically to teams that you can catch than you were, or Best case scenario, you actually move up a spot to fifth. And who knows what happens with Southern? I mean, is it outside of the pot, you know, realm of possibility that Southern Utah loses to Sacramento State? I mean, that would be the ideal scenario for the Cats is for Southern Utah to fall against Sacramento State. Again, Sacramento State has usually played teams tough, but this year it's how much fight is going to be left in them, I guess, is what you know we'll be looking for. But that's this is one where... If you, you got to get you, like you said, Coulter, the wins that are there to be had for you, you have to have if you're Montana State. This won't prove if they win this game tonight that all of a sudden they're a quote-unquote contender, but it will allow them to continue to have that possibility. If they lose tonight, I think you say Montana State is not a contender anymore in terms of what you're talking about getting a bye, getting a four seed in the tournament. They, they that This would... Effectively to me, eliminate that possibility from happening. A win tonight puts them absolutely in that mix.
0: Who's better, Portland State or Montana State?
1: I think. I think it's an open question. I know you want me to say Portland State. But who's and I who's probably more will. dangerous? I guess. Yeah. yeah. I mean, here's the thing.
0: Depends I, on who you're playing, right? It, it does. Because if Portland State's playing the Grizz, they're the most dangerous
1: team in the league. Somehow, I mean. I mean First of all, Portland State lost by double digits, but they were down a couple of guys to the Grizzlies. But they, when I mean, State, not
0: just a couple of guys though, they didn't have their most important guy. Sal knew who's not their best player, but he's their most important player. But
1: when they played Montana State in Bozeman, they won, right?
0: By a point. 1 point. Yep. Harold Frey hit a uh, game-winning shot what but it was like, seconds 12 seconds and Holland, yeah. Holland,
1: yep. Holland Woods scored the fin- game they actually bucket. finished it off. All I'm saying is is I mean, if you lose at home, then then the other team gets to say that, that they're better than you are. Okay, that's just the way it is. But if you're talking about, I mean, you want to see two even teams, that was as even a game as you can have, you know? And so uh, I'm not going to sit here and go, you know, obviously Portland State's better than Montana State. I think they're, the issue with Montana State is this. They seem to have the biggest breadth of any team in terms of how well they play. Which is not right. what you
0: want, and how much of that is the being on the road or being at home? Right, and, and so if you're asking me how good is Montana State,
1: there's not an there's not an answer to that question. How good is Montana State when they're playing at their best, an absolutely having a bye team and a potentially dangerous team in the tournament when they're at their worst, one and done on day one of the tournament. So so that's that is the issue with this Montana State team.
0: And so much of this is just—I mean—it's so indicative when you look at the standings. You look at the home and road records. Yes, the teams that are in the bottom, the second half of the standings, just have terrible road records. And the Cats are four and eight. Portland State's four and eleven. Weber State's three and six. Sac State's three and eight. Idaho State's two and nine. Idaho's one and nine. Away from home,
1: you know, Montana doesn't have a great home uh, record. Uh, Montana
0: is four nine uh, away, four and nine runner, away. So. That's amazing. Eastern Washington seven and six on the road. That's the only winning record on the road in the league. The difference though is Montana's ten and one in Missoula and undefeated in
1: conference play. So yes. uh, that makes up for a lot. Of, well, it, it, it's an interesting game. It's it's an interesting scenario. Again, I think this game tonight, when you have to have it, and you are the better team. And I will say that Montana State is the better team in this game tonight. Yes. Then you know there's not a lot a lot of analysis that you need to sit here and do and break it all down. Sure, you got to go play well and win the dang basketball game. The That's one, it.
0: The one interesting factor worth mentioning is that Ryan Looney's first year head coach at Idaho State. He was one of the finalists for the Montana State job. I think they brought four, maybe five candidates to campus. Looney was the most uh, atypical of them. I think they had a assistant from. Uh, A guy who had spent time at both Xavier and Vanderbilt. They had an assistant who had spent time on Long Kruger's staff at Oklahoma. They had an assistant who had coached under Eric Musselman at Nevada. And then they had Danny Sprinkle, who's an alum, who had been an assistant in the Big West for most of the last 20 years. So four Division I assistants, including a couple guys from Power Five conferences. And then Looney. Looney was a guy who played Frontier Conference basketball. A guy who was a Division II coach, first at Seattle Pacific and then at Point Loma. Bled Point Loma all the way to the Division two National Championship game a year ago. But he was sort of the outlier amongst the candidates. And then he brought it all the way down. And I actually had it from two different sources that they had hired him. But I, I couldn't get the third. And then I was glad I waited because then I don't know if it was an internal change of the mind or if the stream of, stream of information was just incorrect. But then they hired Danny Sprinkle. But yeah. Ryan Looney wanted the Montana State job. He didn't get the Montana State job. So you just wonder if he himself has a little extra juice coming into this game. Idaho State, I think we could both agree, is one of, if probably, I, in my mind, power rankings, they're 11 out of 11 in terms of what they could do in the tournament. The, yeah. Because Trayvon Allens is better than anybody on Idaho State, and that's why I have that Idaho State below Idaho. That said, it would be a feather in the cap for Ryan Looney if he could get a win yeah. in Bozeman tonight. So I do think it's a, an interesting game, even if you're talking about two teams, bottom half of the standings. So ensure your company's network is online all the time.
1: For more information, visit goblackfoot.com slash business. That's goblackfoot.com slash business. And you can click the link right here in the old podcast. We've made it so very easy for you. Go visit and find out how to keep your business or the business of people you know secure online with Blackfoot. Stu tell Nuanes, 1029 ESPN Radio. Colter, let's shift directions here a little bit. Yep. Talk some college football. Mel Tucker, the head coach Colorado for one season. David, what was Colorado, did you tell me this year? Like five and seven? Something like five and seven. Five and seven. Okay. Not a great season, but also it felt like after the thi- after Colorado had been actually really good for like a season or two, four or five years
3: ago. Mm-hmm. They won the Pac-12 South in 2016. Right. When okay. They,
0: when they had the quality kid and it all fell apart,
3: which is, was sort of confused with McIntyre well, right?
1: left. Right. Well, he didn't. McIntyre got fired. He's the one who it all so fell what apart happened? after
0: the fact. What happened there? I I haven't followed Colorado. They've been so irrelevant mostly, so I haven't followed them much. What happened with McIntyre? Because they won nine or ten games with right? him. Yeah, they won and them. And
3: the recruiting went down. He mm. won. He won games with guys that weren't his players. His son was on the team. I mean, mm. they also had some controversy.
1: An assistant coach, I think, was fired or maybe wasn't fired in, uh, amidst allegations of domestic violence and some other things going on there. But eventually, I mean, the thing just all fell apart in Colorado or in Boulder, I should say. And so they go, they fire McIntyre, they hire Mel Tucker. And Mel Tucker felt like, hey, this guy, even you know, five and seven, year one, but he's going to get it rolling. He's the guy for the job.
0: Well, and then, the, the, the most recent recruiting class they signed, I think, it was top thirty, top thirty-five. I mean, it was it was one of the better classes, and and definitely, certainly one of the best classes they've had. So then, in a, in a little while,
1: what happens in college football is what happens in college football, and coaches leave or are released or whatever, and eventually, Coach Antonio at Michigan State retires. Somewhat surprising after a pretty down season by Michigan State standards. Certainly didn't meet expectations. And who knows all the reasons why he chose to hang it up at this point.
3: So so, I read something today about his retiring. He wanted to coach the 2020 season and be able to name his replacement. And MSU told him that wasn't going to be the case. So he just decided to abruptly retire. And David, tell me... he did this the day of or
1: like the day after the National day, Signing Day? The day before. No, the day national before signing National Signing day. day. So, I mean, now, even with the early signing period and stuff, that is an awkward time to go, you know what? I'm good here.
0: And tactful for Mark D'Antonio to get out of that. And was, most tactful
3: right? is that he had a retention bonus on January 15th, where his full 2020 salary was due he was still the coach on January 15th it was due on January 16th and less than you know 3 weeks later he decides I'll just take my salary and go well hey he could have waited
1: 3 days and still done it i mean that's the contract but i guess here's the thing then mel tucker leaves for this job and on a professional level Coulter on this end of things you know as you sit here and you go you're getting double the salary to go to a much more prominent prolific program in Michigan State than what you got at Colorado. And so I'm I'm not going to sit here and just pile on this because and again it's not like the job had been open for 3 months and then he decides to go it opened up a week ago and then he takes the thing. Okay? I that's that's sort of what it is. But here's what just Slays me not about this, but with this as an example of what this is. All we hear about, regardless of how this happens, is family and brotherhood and fatherhood and tying together. And we're going to bring these kids in and they're going to become men. And we're, you know, we're in this together. We're going to fight arm in arm and do the whole thing. And coaches do that up until the very second where they go, ah, you know what? Got a better thing going. I'm out. That was your Burn Street Bistro Burn of the Week. This is college football especially, but college sports in general, where the people who run the show are remunerated so very handsomely into the multi-millions of dollars and have this as a profession that is a hugely lucrative profession, not to mention a hugely, shall I say, celebrity profession as well, where the kids show up and they get Trapped into a thing that they have to sign and do. And now all of a sudden, if a coach decides to go, you're still on the hook. Now I understand there's plenty of circumstances where like a lot of the kids who signed to play up with Mel Tucker could probably and very well might say, Hey, I came here to play for this guy. He's gone. You need to release me out of this. And the NCAA can then make a determination whether to do so. And in the past, I think they have been more and more ready to make that concession. Okay. Nonetheless, The the utter and absolute disconnect between what is being fed to families and kids about what it means to come to a particular program and what they're going to do here and so on and so forth. And only to find out that a week later, after you sign the deal, your coach is no longer your coach. That is it, it is so untoward and unseemly within the scope of this, because it is just at that point lies. Like, it's just totally. lies. And I'm not saying that Mel Tucker sat in anybody's house and lied to anybody's face. The job wasn't even open while he was sitting in there recruiting. And I'm sure he had a big plan and excitement about what he wanted to do at Colorado. But the reality, the nature of this thing is, is that you got all these kids to sign on, and now you go, well, you know, Lansing, East Lansing, that's where I got to be. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have done this. I'm saying this is the nature of the way this works, and it, and I hate it.
0: I hate it. I, I do too. I mean, I think that the entire system is completely broken. I think it's broken not only from the operational and logistic standpoint, but just from, I mean, how do you say? Everything about recruiting is nauseating to me. Mm-hmm. The way that the kids consume it, the way that the kids self promote it, the way that the, 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 the self ingratiating way that everybody goes about all of this stuff on Twitter. I don't think it's good for young people. I really don't. I don't don't think it's good for your psychology to have such crazy exposure. And I also don't think it's good for your psychology to have coaches that are treating you like some sort. I mean, even the recruiting in the Big Sky Conference. I've heard stories about the way that even the two Montana schools recruit. I don't know, man. I'm not much of one for giving standing ovations to 18-year-olds, but I've heard that that's happening in the Big Sky Conference. You come on your visit, you walk into a room, the whole coaching staff stands up and claps for you because you're alive, because you can play football. I mean, give me a break. That stuff kills me. But on the other side, then, too, that's not even close to as bad as the way that the system and the coaches exploit the kids. That's the thing I think it's so funny. I do all these recruiting stories, and they're very rewarding for me to do because you learn about the kids early You get to, especially out-of-state kids, just hearing what they thought Montana was going to be like before they came on visits here and stuff like that, that's always hilarious. But at the same time, I think it's so funny because they always tell you about all the things that the the coaches told them about the program and all the things the coaches told them about how bad they want them. Every kid is the top guy on the board at their position. Every kid is going to come in and make a huge impact. Every kid is going to be a star. And it's just so funny to me because... One of the biggest trends in college sports is you get these guys in, you loved them so much, and then they're coming, they're coming, they're coming. The optimism's crazy. You can't believe how much they're going to impact your program. Then they get there, and you just decide you hate them. We see this in basketball in the Big Sky Conference so often, where this guy's going to be a program saver, and he's on campus for three weeks, and the coaches, they're they're planning on, how am I going to get rid of this guy? I can't even believe that I signed this guy. How bad was this guy? It's always somebody else's fault. It's not their bad evaluation. It's always somebody else's fault. That all of that stuff, it just it drives me wild. But I got I got two questions for you when it okay. comes to this broad situation. Yeah. First of all, Mel Tucker is very interesting to me because I Mel Tucker, when you look at him, when you listen to him, you're like, man, this guy's a dude. Love this He's guy. He's got great presence. Yeah. He's, but I just want to know now this guy's the head coach of Michigan State. Now that's a big time job. No doubt. He is five and seven in his career as a head coach. I mean, last year was his first year as a head coach, and I get he's at Colorado. But his resume is interesting. I mean, on one hand, he's rubbed elbows with Jim Trestle during his beginning of his coaching career when he was coaching DBs at Ohio State. He's been in the NFL. Cleveland Browns defensive coordinator. Yeah. But he was fired. What's your question? Jacksonville Jaguars defensive coordinator. Fired. Chicago Bears defensive coordinator, one of the worst defenses in Bears history. Is Mel Tucker to me? There's it's becoming more prevalent for these ADs to make big splash hires with big personalities, whether those guys are guys like Jawan Howard and Penny Hardaway, who are alums of the school that are super famous, or guys like Mel Tucker and Willie Taggart, guys that win the press conference all day long. But can they actually coach? Well, is that your question? Can, can he actually, he actually co- coach? We does does he
1: deserve to have the Michigan State job? First of all, 5-7 and seven as a head coach at, at at Colorado in your first year is actually probably a good sign. Yeah, that's the first thing I'd say. The second thing I'd say is that you are the one who went on this rant was earlier this week or last week. It used to be that the longer you were in your profession, the more the the, the, the better you were at it, and and the more a uh, uh, reverence that you created. And so, the longer tenured guys, that was what you needed. You needed experience at all of this sure. and, all, and so on and so forth. Now, with analytics and everything like that, you know, you 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 used like journalism and news as as your example but sure. in coaching there's you, there's so much more going on now in the new age kid and so forth and so on and you can be a successful coach at any age i mean you could be you know mac brown at north carolina sure. all the way down to whoever you want but all i'm saying is the experience side of this thing and how good guys are or aren't i think is we we still put a lot of emphasis on it, and maybe too much. I mean, people said all day long, and I was uh, listen. I'm not sold on Matt Lafleur by any stretch of the imagination for the Green Bay Packers. Right, but he's like the offensive coordinator of the number 26 offense for one season with the Tennessee Titans. Why in the world is he the head coach of the Green Bay Packers? He had and
0: lunch I'm, with Sean McVay once. That's didn't right,
1: exactly. So okay, so now all of a sudden, this guy with this nice face and a bad ACL is our head coach. Great. They went 13-3, and and they went to the NFC Championship game. And you sure. can talk to me all day about the defense, the outside, the line, Aaron Rodgers, sure. and you're right about all of it. Sure. But that did happen. Yep. So I'm not I am not going to sit here and say that Mel Tucker's no good for Michigan State until he shows me that he's no good for Michigan State.
0: Yeah, I mean, as far as like the guys that have the bravado, that they just make an impact on you just by listening to them speak, hmm to me, the you feel bet, like it's head, bet hedging by the
1: AD to go, right, oh, right. It, if everybody thinks now this is a good hire, I, if, if it goes badly, I can at least say, hey, we were all on the same page when we got, when right. we brought this guy in. The best, ver-
0: my bad. the best versions of this are like James Franklin and Herb Edwards, right? Guys mm. that really, they grasp your attention, but then also they can coach they and, they're, and they're yeah. winning. Right. The worst version is like Willie Taggart, right? My other question for you, I know we got to get out. Fine. Why can't people win at Colorado. Do you remember 20 years ago when Colorado was still in the Big 12 and they were like really competitive? Remember that team with Chris Brown as running back that beat the tar out of Nebraska oh, man, in the, the Big 12 championship a, game? and a
1: Heisman Trophy winner at Salam yep. in
0: the mid-90s. Cordell Stewart. I mean, they, they had they had great football teams. What happened?
1: Well, now, let me be clear. David, you could probably help me on this. When Before they went into the Pac-12, immediately before they were brought into the Pac-12, what conference were they in? They're in the Big 12. They're in the Big 12. They're in the Big 12 forever, huh? Yep and then they just they just transferred into the pack. Right. Here's what I'd say. I know for sure that the upgrades to the facilities that have happened in Boulder for their athletic department in the last like 5 years major and they are as right. beautiful and as wonderful and they got leather chairs and fireplaces and the whole thing. Okay? So it's spectacular and we know how important that can be. Totally. And we th- I thought we were seeing the fruits of that in 2016 mm-hmm. when they were good. I mean not legitimately good. They were why it's not sustainable, I don't know. You always tell me about the California thing, and you always tell me about the Arizona thing because people aren't going to those places to just play football. They're going to those places to play football and have a nice time of it. You know what? You can have a pretty nice life in Boulder, Colorado as an athlete as well. Okay? That's all I'm going to say.
0: That's the part that it is wild, though, because you just think it's a great school. It's an exceptionally great town. Yes. So... It just seems as if you check all the boxes. I mean, it's it's. I mean, it's got to be one of the great colleges,
1: college cities in America. Okay, it, for sure. And you know, it doesn't have a reputation of having the atmosphere in terms of the game day deal going yeah. on. But I think it's, it's it's there to be done. the Broncos. Right. Yes. Ha, are 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 one of the top five in the NFL. Right. So what what were you gonna say,
3: Dave? It's a Broncos country like you're hitting on. Nobody yeah. cares about the buffs. And I think that's regardless. the other regardless. I
0: think that's the other part too, is it's like unless it's like in Las Vegas, right? If you're at UNLV, you can, if if you could be a part of the show, if you are truly national elite, you could be a part of the Vegas show. And if right. you're a part of the Vegas show, you're gonna be among time. the most popular yeah. teams in the country. Yeah. But if you're not, then who wants to go watch even just an above average UNLV team when you can go do so much else? It's the same thing with colorado i think if they're not at the top of the pac 12 why would you care because okay well i'll just read about in the paper tomorrow i'm gonna go float the river i'm gonna go ski i'm gonna go hike them out i'm gonna go do whatever there is to do that's more fun than that and let's be clear
1: denver and boulder are close to each other but denver ain't boulder and vice versa beverly hills and watts are close to one another and they're (laughs) not the same thing either so i'm not saying you know i'm just saying if you got if you got a night you know You got a nice life going on, sometimes taking your shirt off in the middle of winter and having some suds and hooting and hollering at a college football game, or isn't the thing that you're doing on a regular basis, okay?
0: You know, guests, the Wingate by Wyndham is the Missoula hotel that truly offers something for everybody.
1: No doubt. It's conveniently located near the airport, easy for when your friends come to visit you, and you know, of course, my favorite, water
0: slides. That's right. they got an awesome water park with a sweet water slide that's perfect for families, groups, and birthday parties. With the Wingate, they also have a terrific business travel rate, large meeting spaces for you and your clients, and one of the best rewards programs you'll find anywhere. Let the Wingate by Wyndham in Missoula make you feel at home, even when you're not.
1: Grizzlies ten and three on top of the Big Sky Conference standings, looking to uh, stay there against a surging Weaver State team. And again, this is one of the all-time rivalries in the Big Sky Conference. The only the only shot at this you get in Missoula now that uh, you know you used to have at least maybe two chances to see teams play. But that's what it is. Are you are we okay with the neutral site thing? Ultimately, you like it or not like it.
0: I've heard all the arguments from all the coaches and I think that the thing that the fans don't understand is and last year actually in Boise was a lot better. Reno I love Reno. I thought it was the greatest place in the world. Some of the most fun times I've had in my adult life Stop have been right in there. Reno. Why are you using past tense? You love
1: Reno and it is one of the best places on earth to you. Yes. It okay is. now continue. It is. It is. <laughs>
0: The but the attendance was embarrassing, yes. especially for the women's games. I mean, it was just downright horrible. Yep. I mean, there was a couple of girls' games that were the people that were there were working. Yep. There were there was no humans there to watch the game. Yeah. That sucks. No matter who you are. It's just not fun to play in a no one in a gym. And that gym wasn't great. And the gym at Boise is great. Yes it is. Because it's a lot closer to Idaho, Idaho State, Montana, Montana State. Travels much better. Four of the schools that are the biggest draw. Yeah, Eastern Washington too. I mean, there was a lot of fans. I mean, and the guys' championship game. It was close to sold out. I thought it was a good atmosphere for the championship game. The biggest argument before, like when the Grizz won in Reno the last year, there was about eight hundred Grizz fans there. It's probably about fifteen hundred people in the stadium overall. But everybody's argument was, well, there would have been seventy five hundred if the Grizz would have hosted this thing in Missoula. It would have been sold out. Would it looked sweet on ESPN. Okay. The fact that they're getting people now in Boise, that's good. But the neutral site, I think it's my belief, and I think this is the number one thing that the coaches argued, is that to get ready for the NCAA tournament, you have to play at a neutral site tournament because then you can actually practice while playing the art of a tournament. What it's like to have a quick turnaround if you were by chance winning a game in the NCAA tournament. More importantly, what it's like to play on our neutral site court. To have strict rules in terms of practice times, warm-up times, when you have to be at your shoot-around, staying together as a team, the logistics of busing. But most importantly, the Grizz rode their home court advantage in the Big Sky Championship game to the NCAA tournament multiple times. And then went out and lost by 50 to Syracuse. Went out and lost by 40 to Wisconsin. I understand everything you're saying here, and I'm not even saying I disagree, but let me ask you this. Yep.
1: If those teams, games, tournaments would have been played on a neutral site court, and somebody other than Montana would have won, sure, what would have happened to them in the tournament?
0: Well, I mean, I don't think that you can really get more embarrassed than Montana did in 2013 by Syracuse. Yeah. I think that was absolutely the worst draw Big Sky team has gotten this century. Maybe the worst draw the Big Sky team's gotten ever. And it's not as if that Syracuse team was that outstanding. Although they, they did they go did, to
1: the Final Four. Did, did they, they final, not? I
3: think they went to the Elite Eight. That team was so ugly. So, so ugly. So ugly, I went right. to the Final Four Final that year. Four. Yeah, they went to the Final Four, right.
0: But that Grizz team, they were built on speed, quickness, and defense. They had no shooting to speak of. Will Cherry is one of the all-time great players at Montana. Will Cherry can't make a jump shot. I'm just all against, I'm against the well If Weber State wins that game and it's Damian Lillard and not Will Cherry, they don't lose by 50 because Damian Lillard can shoot against the zone. That Montana team could not shoot, so they can't play against Syracuse's zone. Nobody's beating Syracuse. I agree. That's all I'm saying. I agree, but Weber could have lost by 15, not 50. But who cares? What? Like it, no no it's no, no, all no. about the reputation of your program think about how much better North Dakota and North Dakota's fans feel about their performance against Arizona a couple years ago than getting absolutely destroyed i mean the grizz the grizz have three of the most lopsided embarrassing losses this century in the tournament period regardless of seeds i every team when you watch do you you watch the NCAA tournament from start Only to finish. Only every game, yeah. Right. So how often do you see 15 seeds scrapping it out and being in the game? And even if they lose, even if they end up losing by 16 or whatever, they're in the game. The Grizz were you straight see them, up. The you Gri-
1: see them scrapping it out as often as you see a 15 seed getting blown out no, of the gym. No,
0: the last couple of years there have been hardly any blowouts. And none, none, like the Grizz have gotten blown out in the tournament this decade. All I'm saying is at the end of the day,
1: the point of all of this is to supposedly to try and win a game in the tournament that's the that this is the psychology of the conference now that I'm talking about yes okay they want the money they want the windfall of dollars that they haven't had for a decade and a half coming into their coffers so they could do all the things that you would want to do as a conference that makes sense and it's, basketball is men's basketball is the only sport where that's possible. The only one, not football, not women's hoops, none of them. This is it. So I get that, and if you want to do that, that's fine. I'm just saying it's not clear to me at all that the team has a better, quote-unquote, better chance of winning in the tournament because they've played at a a neutral site. We're five years in, and it's 0-5, and, 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 well, 0-4, okay, this is the fifth year, I get that. It's just one, like you have to catch lightning in a bottle. And I think there's an argument to be made to say, hey, a team that is riding the wave and surging and playing with great confidence has just as good a chance. Like what if it wasn't Syracuse? Okay, Syracuse, terrible matchup for the Grizzlies in 2013. Maybe they end up with a different team as a 215 seed that matches up so much better for them and they're rolling because they just beat Damian Lillard and Weber State and they're feeling great about themselves. Now, I'm not saying I like the neutral court. I like the neutral site. If the goal here is to win a game in the tournament, it's just not clear to me that this that, that
0: this is making much of an impact. That's all I'm saying. The women's league is a better example because I think that, to be c- completely frank, I think the Montana women won the Big Sky Tournament multiple times when they weren't the best team. Yeah, Let's do they, this. They fought their way to, yeah. uh, to... Because they have such a crazy home court advantage and they especially did it under Coach Selvig, they won home games that maybe they weren't the better team in all throughout the season yep. and then got the one seed and then host and hosted yeah. even though they weren't the best team and then won the championship game in front of their home court and that's where you, we've seen the Lady Grizz go to the tournament and get annihilated too. I don't know what the answer is. All I know is that I think that there's a really high chance for an emotional letdown after you win the championship on your home court. <sighs> It's hard we'll talk true, about true or false. Point. It's harder to win the Big Sky tournament on a neutral court than it is on your home court, for sure. So that's what so makes you better going into the tournament.
1: The tournament should get you up for the game. like it, just the idea that you're on a neutral site, that you're in the NCAA tournament, big dance national television, you don't need anything else. Nothing. That's it. uh, the most obvious way to look at this is in his three-point shooting, he was one of his first 19 for the Grizzlies from the beyond the arc. Not great. He's 11 of 15
0: since then. Yep. Great. Uh, and he's also shooting since he moved to uh, exclusively bench roll. He's yeah. uh, 8 of 10 from three.
1: So had a chance to talk to uh, Josh Vasquez uh, uh, earlier on uh, in, uh, in the week and just asked him, you'll know, hear a couple questions here, but asked him, what is the comfort level that he's experienced at the Division One level? Because he played a high level in high school, but still a jump to go from high school to Division One level. What's it been like? That's what he said.
2: Uh, my comfort level, I felt like I was pretty comfortable in the beginning, just knowing that I was able to play. But one thing that was a big adjustment for me is definitely the physicality. Um, just for me, especially in getting in the weight room, it was my, my first time really getting in the weight room here. And, um, like, guarding, like, senior point guards here that have been in college for a while, that was something pretty tough for me to do, but I adjusted pretty well to it. What was your walking to the Big Sky moment? I forgot what game it was, but I was guarding uh, a bigger point guard than me. And he kind of was trying to drive me to the rim, and he kind of put a shoulder in my chest, and that really kind of woke me up a little bit. It knocked me back, and it was like, that was that was a welcome for me.
1: We've been watching you play, but you're still a newcomer to this team, just for people who are listening. What do you think marks your game? What do you feel like you do well? What do you bring to the basketball court? I just feel
2: I'm really unselfish. I like to give the ball to my other teammates. I like to see them score. I really get, like, a, like a warm feeling when I get an assist to a teammate because I know they feel good after a while hitting a good shot. So I think I bring that to the table and just be not selfish. You like to hear that from
1: your point guard. The, the thing he likes the most to do is facilitate his teammates and, uh, and get them involved. Hey, Colter, you made a good point to me uh, about Josh as a basketball player. He said, he said, watch him when he's got the ball in his hands. Not only does he never look at himself driving the basketball, which he certainly shouldn't do at this point. He didn't look at the defender defending no. him either. He is always eyes up. Elsewhere on the floor, he's so in control. The handle that he's got, the confidence that he plays with, he doesn't need to worry about the guy standing in front of him, and and that's how you start to facilitate. And so, yeah, to make some threes, we, we talked at a different point there about him. That he was the only player that made a three pointer, made three of them at Idaho. And even though they won by double digits, those are big threes. Like you got to get a couple of them down, and so he really carried the team in that respect on a night that Kendall Manuel was zero for four, I think. And so, but but in general, his his poise and control though has really stood out, right?
0: Absolutely, and I think that part was to be expected. At least his confidence to play at this level, because yeah. he went to a, I mean, he played at a very high level in high school. Basketball's so interesting because so often guys sign so much earlier. And then they play a full spring cycle, and oftentimes in a full senior year too, after they sign. And so, so often you can get guys that maybe when it's the early, the earliest that they can sign, they're not even close to what they're gonna become. And I think that that's maybe not all three of these guys, but I definitely think Derek Carr, Hollinger, and Josh Vazquez, amongst the greatest freshmen. Would they be at Montana if they wouldn't have signed until after their senior years? I'm not sure because mm. they both had huge senior years. Yeah. yeah. But, but the point. recruit you don't really know who's going to recruit them because they're already signed. They were early signees. So you, there's really no indication on how much they could have blown up or who they could have gotten offers from. They were getting Big West and, and some mid- to low-level West Coast Conference offers, too, to be sure, before that. But who knows? I don't think either one of them maybe would have been able to play all the way up into the Pac-12. But they could have been Mountain West guys, maybe, especially Vasquez because I think that – even though he's slight right now because he's he's only eighteen, maybe nineteen, but he's a teenager. He's he's got good size and length. I mean, he's a he he, he is. They list him at six three. He is six two though. I mean, he, he he's actually in talking to him. He was bigger than I thought he was going right. to be.
1: Really, even as I mean, he's he's not a big strong guy by any stretch. Like you say, I mean, he's a, he's a kid. Right, but if if you were to stand next to him, he's actually stronger than you think, and he's bigger than you think. Yes, he he looks small on the floor, and then all of a sudden you go, oh. well, dude, that's small, actually.
0: I think that they just they love the unselfish demeanor. I, I, I can't, It can't be understated, first of all, the egos that exist in Division I college basketball now, and it's so hard to get freshmen that are willing to buy into a non-star role. If you're going to play when you're a freshman, you're going to have an elevated role, or you're going to be a developmental guy who's not ready to play. Finding the guy who's willing to be the seventh man, but also do that effectively is so big especially when you started that guy earlier to have the men- mental transition to Josh Vasquez in the span of 3 games played between 11 and 33 minutes yeah so and then also when it, i mean the way the teams are going to guard montana when they swing the ball Josh Vasquez is going to be the one that's open to have the confidence to be to st- step up and hit that shot when it's going to be one of your only shots of the game that it's huge and i think that Travis de hit it on the head w- when talking about it Uh, Yeah, an
1: interesting, you, you pointed this out. It was a little bit of an eyebrow raise when at the beginning of the season, Josh Vasquez was starting and Timmy Falls was coming off the bench. And it went for a while that way and then it sort of switched and you thought, okay, well, this is a... Who's the starter and who's the backup? But recently, last, you know three, four weeks. Timmy Falls and Josh Vasquez have been playing together on the floor quite a bit. I asked Coach to cure that very question. What does it bring to the team when they're on the floor together? Uh, it's a lot of versatility. Uh, allows us to move Saeed around off the ball. Um, and you've got two guys that can create for others and make open shots. And so it spreads the out because it's a lot of room. Uh, I think we're more effective offensively when we have those two on the floor. First of all, I thought what he said about Saeed Pridget and his ability to roam when they're both on the floor was very, very interesting and and worth paying attention to. But I thought those guys, you know, you think starting point guard, backup, whatever, whatever. The two of them as a backcourt, though, I think have been really effective together. And like you said... Timmy Falls to sort of, I think, probably overcome some frustration at not starting initially. And now he really is the starter. Uh, But the both of them are are sort of, I think, pretty equitable in terms of minutes and that sort of thing. Uh, And 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 their role together, I think, is really effective at times. And so it's it's fun to watch.
0: Basketball rotations are so interesting because Montana has not really changed the guys that they play. They're just changing who they play together and the way that they play those guys together in terms of minutes, just putting Derek Carter-Hollinger in the starting lineup and putting Josh Vasquez off the bench, now you have a a completely different lineup because then you can play Saeed Pridget at every position, like all at once, you know what I mean? Like When he's in the starting lineup and Jared Samuelson's knees feeling okay, and you got Samuelson, Pridget, and Derek Carter-Hollinger, but then you also have Kendall Manuel and Timmy Falls, that's a very fluid lineup in terms of what positions they're playing. Totally. <laughs>
1: yeah. Abs- absolutely. Said might
0: bring the ball up one time and then Timmy might bring the ball up and Said's playing the five on this position. Right. right. Uh, but then also now Josh Vestas can come off the bench as a combo guard not a point guard but then he can also come in as a point guard so it just gives them a lot more versatility even though you're playing the same guys.
1: Yeah. No doubt. Well, big game tonight. Montana, Weber State for the one and only time in Missoula. Looking forward to this one very much. Obviously, Montana State, Port, uh, uh, Idaho State, In Bozeman as well. Boys and girls, enjoy the basketball game. We'll be back with you Friday. Tomorrow, wrap up the week. Two-telling to one at ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television.
2: Whether you're traveling to Missoula for business, a family visit, or to watch the Grizz game, the Wingate wants to be your home away from home. Call the Wingate to find out how we can take care of your next trip to Missoula. From conference rooms to great complimentary breakfast to an indoor water park, we have what you need and what you want when traveling. The Wingate of Missoula is a proud supporter of Grizzly and Lady Grizz athletics, and we look forward to making you feel at home when you're not.